0: let's do that one more time shalom Shalom. Ah, much better much better well it's a great pleasure to be with you again my name is mark and it's uh, great to be back with you uh, back with you all sorry we're missing pastor mike but it's good to have pastor brian back and uh but some of you might be saying jewish christians jews don't believe in jesus jewish christians that's like vegetarians for meat Now, some of you might chuckle at that, but actually, that is a common reaction. Sometimes it's said with hostility, and sometimes it's simply a refusal to take our message seriously. But the truth is that many of our own colleagues had that same reaction before coming to receive Jesus as their Messiah.
1: That's exactly what I thought when I was confronted with my mother becoming a believer in Jesus when I was 16. Uh, she started going to a Messianic congregation, which is like a church like this in Israel, uh, where Jewish people worship Jesus. Uh, and that's the first time that I heard that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, where before that, um, I grew up with the, the notion that Jesus is, like we said in the video, for everyone else but for us. Um, and uh, But I, when I, my mom became a believer and she started going to that congregation, I uh, got confronted to to the reality that Jesus might be the messiah um, and so I um, i my my dad and I also went to with my mom to that congregation before we became believers um, and I wanted to know the truth I wanted to find out whether it is true that Jesus is the messiah um, but actually um, I took a very short class with the Bible with the um, Uh, in bible uh, prophecies with the pastor of the congregation um but what i wanted to do is i wanted to prove to myself that jesus is not the messiah because if he, he is um and i believe in him um i knew that i would be persecuted because that's the reality that i saw in israel most jewish people who believe in jesus as a matter of fact just um um not just a few weeks ago there was um a big um, worship um, sort of concert that was going on in, in in Jerusalem, and Orthodox Jewish people came to the door, and the, and they didn't allow uh, people to come in because they said, well, that's that they they thought that basically that is not a Jewish thing to do. They're trying to uh, steal Jewish souls, and that's one of the Jewish. Orthodox people think that those who believe in Jesus um, are stopping to from be, being uh, believers in Jesus. So that's what I thought as well. Um, but when I studied those prophecies, most of our, we actually, we're going to hear from Mark, um, most of them, not all of them, because there are over 300 prophecies, um, I started getting a picture of who the Messiah is. And then when I took a, a look at... Uh, what the New Testament says about Jesus, I saw that those two are identical. And even if I knew that I had to go against the stream of most of my friends and relatives, I had to follow the truth because I saw it in my own eyes. And interestingly enough, when I shared the gospel with um, uh, one person, one of the first people that I shared the gospel with, uh, he said, funny, you look normal. (laughs) Meaning that It must be abnormal (laughs) to believe in Jesus as the Messiah if you're a Jewish person.
0: But why is this? Why do so many people find the idea of Jewish people believing in Jesus to be an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms? Well, this morning, I'd like to take a few moments to share with you about the Jewish view of Jesus. I'll also try to grasp what the idea of Messiah meant to the Jewish people during the time of Jesus. And most importantly, sorry. We'll look at some of the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible and see what they have to say about Messiah and how those passages relate to Jesus. So at this time, if you do have your Bibles with you or a Bible app, I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and I'll be reading for verses 18 to 25, Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be a child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. From the point of view of missionaries to Jewish people, this passage contains some burning issues. The angel promises that the Messiah will save us from our sins. Well, as we will see, this is not at all the view that Jewish people hold today. The Hebrew prophet indicated the Messiah would be Emmanuel, god come among us and yet to jewish ears today this seems like a distinctly christian and un-jewish notion
1: Uh, mark and i were um discussing the the person of jesus with uh, a couple of jewish unsaved jewish people um and one of the things we got to the point of talking about sin uh, which is mark as mark was saying it's a foreign concept to jewish people unlike um Biblical Judaism, modern Judaism, teaches that man is born with a good nature. Uh, and uh, particularly one of the things that they actually they said, well, we Jewish people do not believe in the original sin. Um, well that's modern Judaism. Biblical Judaism really teaches that, that basically Adam and Eve um, rebelled against God and we um, have their DNA. Uh, so, we are born in a, a sinful way, and as a matter of fact, we, we just mentioned that to them as well. What about King David? You know he says, um, "I was sinful for my mother 's womb uh, That is so uncomfortable for a Jewish person to hear that um, and there 's a lot of op, a lot of obstacles we have to go through to get to the point that Jewish people understand the biblical uh, concept of sin in the scripture rather than what is being taught today in synagogues.
0: Yeah, so I'd like to begin by discussing the contemporary Jewish view of Jesus. Now, Jews today hold diverse views regarding God, life after death, the meaning of the state of Israel, and most other subjects as well. However, most would agree with the idea that you cannot be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And that a Jewish person who does come to believe in Jesus can no longer be considered Jewish.
1: Uh, one of the things that we have to um, talk to, when we talk to Jewish people, we have to go through the obstacle of um, uh, sort of them understanding that um, Jewish identity doesn't stop when somebody becomes a believer in Jesus. Uh, One of the Jewish ladies, uh, actually Israeli like myself, that I've been talking to about Jesus, she totally understands that I'm Jewish and I believe in Jesus. But still, for her, it's hard to understand that part of her understanding of her own identity is that, and that's true of a lot of Jewish people, is that part of the identity is that we do not believe in Jesus. And uh, even if she acknowledges that I do believe in Jesus, and I well, she knows that very well because I've been sharing the gospel with her. But I'm I'm also Jewish. I didn't lose my Jewish identity. But for her to be able to sort of, in a sense, cross over to my belief, actually belief in the scriptures, um, that means. For her that she would need to lose her identity, even if that means, makes sense, what I have to say to her.
0: And so when I turn to the pages of the New Testament, I discovered that it begins with the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, I don't know how much more Jewish you can get than David and Abraham. We Jewish Christians say that believing in Jesus is really a Jewish thing to do. It's uh, all the first... Uh, christians were jewish the writers of the new testament were jewish um, except for maybe one he was a doctor in fact in the first century the real controversy was over whether or not a gentile could come to follow jesus without first converting to judaism you may recall it took a vision from god to convince the apostle peter it's all right the gentiles can remain gentile and still follow jesus But once those first Jewish Christians knew that it was God's will that the Gentiles should know him, we sent you some of our best missionaries, Paul, Barnabas, and Silas. And this was the beginning of opening up the borders of sharing of the gospel from the Jewish community and expanding it to the Gentiles. Well, those first Jewish Christians were so effective that within a generation, the majority of Christians were non-Jewish. It is tragic that as the membership of the church became increasingly non-Jewish, that the anti-Jewish feeling that was prevalent in the Roman Empire began to poison the attitude of the church. By and large, Gentile believers not only neglected, but resented the Jewish roots of the faith. Please, that's not the case here today. And as the years progressed, Jewish believers have been persecuted and have been um, excluded from participation in the Jewish community. And so from about the third century onward, the Jewish nature of Christianity became almost completely obscured. And in a relatively short span of time, what had started as a Jewish sect became the faith of Gentiles predominantly. And thus to most Jewish people today, Christianity is the religion of the Gentiles. And because of the persecution done in the name of Christ, Christian motives to evangelize Jewish people are considered suspect.
1: Uh, Mark's mother was uh, born in Greece um, uh, during the Second World War, uh, during the, actually the Holocaust, and her uh, her parents and uh, and her, their family, the, uh, the, her siblings and her, uh, she was really a baby. Uh, then uh, they had to uh, hide in the forest, and some of the time, actually, a Greek Orthodox priest uh, hid the family. He uh, risked his life to. To hide this family uh, from the Nazis. And um, um, because of that, they survived. And after the war, uh, they were able to move uh, from Greece to, to America. And that's where Mark has an American accent. Um, um, but the first time that, when she was about five, uh, five or six years old, uh, she went to um, probably about six more, like, you know, she went to school. Uh, the first time that she encountered the name of Jesus, or rather the word Christ, is when one of the kids told her, you're a Christ killer. Can you imagine that? You're six years old and somebody tells you, you killed someone. Somebody don't, you don't even know. Um, so she's like, I didn't kill anyone. Um, but that's some, some of the um, people have uh, sort of ignorant ideas about who killed Jesus? Actually, all of us killed Jesus, right? Because we all um, are, are sinful and need of God's grace and forgiveness. Um, but even after that traumatic experience of first time hearing the word Christ, uh, many years later, by God's grace, she did encounter the real Jesus uh, who was gracious to her and she became a believer in Jesus.
0: But generally speaking, Judaism and Christianity are perceived as being mutually exclusive. When a Jew accepts Jesus, we're told that we're no longer Jewish, that we've deserted our people, and thus you can see why Jewish people feel compelled to resist the claims of Christ. But we don't mean to be discouraging. The last thing we want to do is to discourage you from witnessing to anybody. We particularly do not want to discourage you from witnessing to Jewish people. However, non-Jewish people are often unaware of the Jewish view of Christianity, In order to be a good witness, I believe it's important you have some understanding of why most Jewish people do not yet believe in Jesus, particularly as you do share your faith. In fact, I want to encourage you, the vast majority of those on our staff who are Jewish came to faith through the sensitive witness of a non-Jewish Christian. Now, often when you think of a missionary, you think of someone who has to get into a boat or a plane across oceans to get to the people he or she needs to share the gospel with. Well, in international mission to Jewish people, we have to cross oceans of misunderstandings. Misunderstandings like the idea that you cannot be Jewish and believe in Jesus. But the gospel is the good news that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has kept his promise and sent us the Messiah.
1: Even if, as we share with you a little bit about the obstacles that we have to go through... Uh, God is at work, and we've seen some Jewish people recently coming to know Jesus as their Messiah and Savior. Um, One of them um, in particular that I want to share with you is uh, Saul, a Holocaust survivor from Hungary that Mark has been meeting with um, on a regular basis for many years, Uh, and um, he really enjoyed sitting down together with Mark and um, reading uh, the Bible together and getting Mark's prayers. Uh, But for a long time, we haven't seen a lot of uh, change, a lot of uh, sort of towards Jesus Um, until a personal crisis happened in his family uh, to the point that he really, through that, God got his attention and he was ready to pray with Mark to receive the Lord. It was so great to see that. It was so sweet. And immediately after they prayed together, um, um, he says, thank you God, thank you Jesus, and thank you Mark for introducing to Jesus. And since then we've seen a lot of um, uh, um, amazing developments in his life and the way God answered prayers and taking care of him and his family.
0: Yeah. So in the time of Jesus, the common understanding that most people had of the Messiah was influenced by the political situation Jewish people found themselves in. You may recall that the land of Israel was under a cruel Roman occupation. And so if you had asked a Jewish person at that time, what's wrong with the world? They would have answered you in one word, Rome. If you would asked the Jewish person, what is the Messiah going to save us from? The answer would have been equally easy. The Messiah will deliver us from the Romans. Jewish people are looking for our Messiah to come and save us from the Romans. But remember what the angel Gabriel said to Joseph. And Matthew chapter 1 in verse 23. You shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua is a Hebrew word which means salvation. And so the angel said, you shall call his name salvation, because that is what he'll bring. Salvation from what? Salvation from our sins. Now to understand the sweep of Messianic prophecy... In the Hebrew Bible, we need to examine the very first messianic prophecy, which is found in the third chapter of Genesis. There we are shown the beginning of the problem of sin. Adam was told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was told that if he did eat, he would surely die. Now, you have to understand what was involved in that simple act of eating that piece of fruit. In order to eat that piece of fruit, Adam had to disbelieve God because God had forbidden him to eat that fruit and had warned him that to eat of that fruit would lead to certain death and adam had to want what the serpent had offered adam wanted to be like god up to this point god had been the center of adam's world and adam had lived a life of simple trust in god adam's sin is a perfect example of what all sin really involves sin involves our decision to become the center of our own lives we become the center of our own worlds. we become our own little gods. And rather than trusting God and depending on him by faith, we live for ourselves. Adam had disobeyed God, but didn't we hear God calling out to Adam? Where are you? Now, do you think that God did not know where Adam was? This was not a request for information. It was an invitation. For through sin, Adam had become alienated from the Lord. Adam's sin was that rather than submit to God, he wanted to stand in God's place, he wanted to be independent of God, and so God is calling out to Adam to come back and that is the essence of repentance in Hebrew, shuvah but it's not just a bit of a turning from our sins, but it's a turning from our sins and turning to God a complete turnaround so in Genesis we read about God's judgment on that sin, the ground would be cursed, and the man would certainly experience physical death just as God had warned But in Genesis 3, God also makes a promise. In Genesis chapter 3, God addresses Satan and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, biblical society was patriarchal. Generations were traced through the sons and the fathers. Even today, Jewish people tend to speak of ourselves as a seed of Abraham, not of Sarah. Yet this promise of a deliverer was fulfilled when the virgin conceived and bore a son whose name was called Emmanuel. God, come among us. The seed of the woman was a son, and Satan certainly bruised his heel because the Messiah certainly suffered. In fact, in Isaiah 53, the Messiah is called the man of suffering. But the suffering and death of Jesus was the atonement which removed our guilt of sin. And through his resurrection, Jesus emptied death, Of his power. The Messiah Jesus dealt Satan a crushing blow, just as Genesis 3.15 had predicted. But Genesis 3 does not only contain the first promise of the gospel, it also contains the first picture of atonement in the Bible. The book of Hebrews tells us that the animal sacrifices offered in the Old Testament were pictures of the sacrifice of Christ. And so it is appropriate that the story of the first sin contains not only the first promise of Jesus' coming, but also the account of the first sacrifice. Genesis 3.21 tells us that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, which he used to clothe them with. Well, this implies the slaying of an animal in order to provide those garments. God has said to Adam that if he ate of the forbidden fruit, he would surely die. But perhaps Adam did not know what death meant. Perhaps he had never seen death. Perhaps Adam didn't understand his own mortality. But perhaps when he saw that animal bleed and die, he did understand his own mortality. But Adam himself did not die that day. A substitute died. And Adam went on to live a long life. Like all the animal sacrifices in the Hebrew Bible, this first sacrifice pictured how God would forgive the sinner without ignoring the sin by visiting the penalty upon a substitute whom God appointed. All of those first sacrifices pictured what God would ultimately do for us through Jesus. Those first sacrifices pictured how God would forgive the sinner without ignoring the sin by visiting the pen the, sin, the penalty by visiting the penalty upon a substitute whom God appointed. All of these sacrifices, again, were mere pictures of what God would ultimately do through Christ. The animals who died symbolically bore the penalty of sin, but Jesus really bore our guilt. When he died a death, he did not deserve to die. The lambs of the Old Testament sacrifices were required to be spotless in a physical sense, but Jesus was the morally spotless sacrifice whose holy, innocent, and bitter sufferings take away the sins of the world. Because the one who died was true God and true man. So the third chapter of Genesis gives us both the promise of a redeemer and a picture of redemption. Now as messianic prophecy in the Old Testament unfolds, it becomes more and more specific as the prophets built upon each other's teachings and as the time in history drew closer to the point where God would send his son. We've already seen in Genesis chapter 3:15 that God has made it clear that the Messiah would be the seed of the woman, that is, our Savior would come among us as a human being. We're saved not by an angel, as some Jewish teaching would tell us, but by one who appeared in human history at the appointed time. In Genesis chapter 12, verses two and three, as well as in Genesis chapter 22, we are told that the promised seed belongs to the people of Israel. In other words, the Messiah would be Jewish. And Genesis forty-nine and ten becomes even more specific. The Messiah must come from the tribe of Judah. And later in several places we learn that the promised one would come from the line of David. And this can be found in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, as well as in Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4, which reads I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm. Through all generations and then we learn in Micah 5.2 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem the city of David now Micah 5.2 is a very interesting passage where it indicates that the Messiah would be more than a human being Micah 5.2 says but out of you Bethlehem Ephrath will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old from the days of eternity now who could that be Who could be from the days of eternity? The one who appeared in Bethlehem is the eternal one. And Isaiah 9 speaks of a king to be born to the house of David. And yet it says of him, he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And Jeremiah 23 is perhaps the most explicit, for verse 5 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up to David a righteous branch, this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. The one who is the branch of David's line is the Lord Himself, come among us. And most familiar to us are the messianic prophecies found in the Book of Isaiah, or some of them, the Gospel according to Isaiah. For well, here we learn of the life and ministry of our Messiah. Here we learn that the one who would reign as king would first come as a suffering servant. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah is a centerpiece of messianic prophecy, and it speaks of his death as a suffering servant. I'd like us to read just a small portion of that, and so I'll be reading again from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 6. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely to Well, as a missionary to our Jewish people, you can imagine we, I've had numerous, we've had numerous occasions to share this passage with Jewish people. Uh, one case that comes to mind in particular is a couple of Israelis that, you know, speak Hebrew, speak, and read Hebrew fluently. So we went through the 53rd chapter of Isaiah verse to verse, verse from verse to verse, all the way to the end of the chapter, they could see who it was talking about. They'd probably never seen this chapter in their own Bible. But they could see clearly who it was speaking about. And when we got to the end of the chapter, what did they say? Oh There's got to be another explanation. It speaks so clearly of Jesus. but uh, yeah, um, And it's been used powerfully in sharing the good news of the Messiah with Jesus. But we do need your prayers so that people can see the, what it says and what it means, clearly. Well, the prophets predicted what the angel said to Joseph. The Messiah would come to save his people from their sins. His very name, Yeshua, means salvation. But today, today most of our people do not know him by that name. They do not know the salvation that he gives, and thus the reason for the existence of international mission to Jewish people, which Rachel will share with you a little more about in a few moments. But for now, we've spoken about how Jewish people think of Jesus. We talked about how the one who how the prophets prepared us for the one who would come by pointing us to the one who would be Emmanuel God come among us though by right he would be king for us and for our salvation he would come as a suffering servant all of us are like Adam and Eve turning from God failing to trust God setting up our lives to revolve around ourselves and hiding from the demands of God's holiness God beckons us to return he calls out to us where are you? We try to avoid his call, consciously or subconsciously. We want God to save us from the Romans. We want God to save us from a whole host of problems. But do we really want God to save us from our sins? That would mean surrendering our lives to God. And it is scary to welcome a Lord who leads us to a cross. Well, let's pray, and then Rachel will come up. God, give us the grace during this time to say with our whole hearts, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come, Emmanuel, and set us free from the captivity of our sins to love and to obey you. ask this in the powerful name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: share with you a little bit about the um, the obstacles that we have to go through as we share the gospel with Jewish people, as we sit down together with them on a one-to-one basis or with couples sometimes, as we mentioned a bit earlier, uh, and share the scriptures and share our own um, um, story of how God works in our lives. Um, and it is a tough ministry. Um, but um, God is at work and we uh, we know that he's that's his, basically his um, his work of trying to bring his own people, uh, Jesus' own people, to, to himself. Um, and we need your prayers. Um, as you came in, you should have received one of those cards. Um, may I ask you to um, take it out and notice that the card is perforated on one side. Anybody who didn't receive one of those cards, could you put... Oh, um, maybe... Possibly, can we get some more? There should be some more there. If you put your hand up, it uh, would be great. Because everybody needs to have one. Um, because uh, we have a sort of like a um, traditional thing to do that we do. We, um, we, cut, we, we tear the card in two at a count of three. Just funny thing to do. I'm just waiting to make sure that everybody gets one. So if you got the card, you'll see that it's perforated on one side. And if you're bending it back and forth on that perforation, will be easier to, um, to tear it. Um, what actually I like to do is I like to count in Hebrew. And everybody knows Hebrew here, right? Well, if you don't know, you need to start practicing. Because that's the language that you need to know in heaven. You think I'm joking. Yes, I am. But the good news is once you're there, you'll know it instantly. But this side of heaven, we need to practice. So are we ready? Great. Achat, shteim, shalosh. Four, five, six. That's good. So unless you've done something great, you have two cards, one smaller, one larger. I don't like to draw attention to the smaller card. Um, it looks like a bookmark. It's designed to be that way. And Mark and I will be honored if you like to take it home with you and um, maybe put it in your Bible or on the fridge where hopefully you'll go to those two places every day. Um, and then we'll, you'll, when you see our picture, you'll remember to pray for our ministry so we'll see more uh, Jewish people come to know Jesus as their Messiah and Savior. Um, the other card is... Um, for you to fill out if you'd like to receive our uh, prayer letter that specifically tells you how you can pray for those people that we minister to. And it's really exciting to see the, uh, how God is working through the prayers of our brothers and sisters like you. And one of our prayer, prayer letters, we ask people to pray for one particular person, uh, like Michael, uh, that Mark has been meeting with, um, uh, on a regular basis, it took him a long time to actually get to that point. That they are um, um, interestingly enough, he was um, introduced to to Michael by another unsafe Jewish people, that Jewish person that Mark was meeting with. Um, and um, but for a long time, they ma- didn't manage to get together. He always, f- f- oh, I'm busy. I can't do this. Uh, even if they li- we don't live very far from each other. Um, and, um, but after we asked people to pray for Michael, that he would be able to meet with Mark, um, that was possible. Um, Mark and I were on, uh, on our way to, um, to speak in a church in the Blue Mountains. And um, so um, we, uh, Michael just texted and he says, oh, I can't meet with you because I'm in the Blue Mountains. Uh, with the family and on a trip um on a hiking trip in, in the blue mountains and so we said well interesting land enough that that's where we are we're heading and that if you want to meet there um that'll be really great so michael saw that as a um sort of um, we call that a god incidence but for him it was a a good um sort of a a good sign that he has to meet with us Uh, So that was the beginning of us actually getting together with Michael. And since then, um, Mark and Michael have been meeting together uh, for quite a while because we asked people to pray for Michael, and God answered those prayers. So it's exciting when we ask people to pray for people, and then you see that the results of your prayers in the next letter. Uh, And it's uh, quite interesting. We've seen a lot of progress in Michael's life as Mark meets with him. Uh, So we'll please continue to pray for Michael that he he gets to the point that he actually accepts Jesus as his Messiah and Savior. Uh, So if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, we'll... um, tell you in a specific way how you can pray for those people that i meet with i usually meet with men with women mark meets with men uh and usually we meet with couples together uh so um it would be great if you like to be part of what god is doing through our ministry by praying for us Um, another way that you can be involved in our ministry is financially Uh, in a few moments we'll take a, a love offering for our ministry It would be great if you um, God puts it on your heart to um, um, participate in what God is doing through our ministry um, by not only praying for us, but also give a gift to our ministry. And you can see on the card itself and also in the the screen in front of you, ways that you can do that, direct deposit, um, credit card, uh, yeah, we... Yeah, and credit cards. Uh, also, Mark and I will be somewhere in the back or where we have morning tea. Um, and we have a square that if you like to give by credit card, uh, we, uh, we can uh, take your um, gift to us uh, right on the spot. Um, and also, the small card where there's a QR code and also on the screen uh, where you can um, actually, I can see, um, yeah, if you, is it working? the QR code um, so if um, the QR code you can uh, sign up for our newsletter online and also give online if you like to um, to do that uh, also I'd like to ask you prayers for um, an outreach that we're going to be doing uh, in October um, uh, we're going to be um, at a, a sort of a um, a new-age marketplace called uh, Mind, Body, Spirit. Um, and I don't know if you've seen, if heard about that. Some of you have heard about that. It's not a place where uh, it's a place for a Christian to go. That uh, normally happens in Darling Harbor uh, at a conference, cent- a conference uh, center there. There's a market of uh, anything that is not of God in one place. Tarot readings, psychics, crystals anything that is not of god unfortunately that's a place where a lot of jewish people are attracted to go to and that's where we're going to be having a booth uh and where we're um, offering people to um to pray for them and um, lots of other options to especially attract jewish people and uh we've done that last last year and we've seen uh many jewish people coming to talk to us um and uh, asking more questions, and we got seventeen Jewish people that wanted to give us their names and addresses and said, yeah, I like to stay in touch with you and we're still meeting with them uh, on we 're meeting with them on a regular basis uh, on and off, not more more than uh, we would love to meet with them more than um, than we are able to do at this point. But it's a great opportunity for us to be there and shine the light of Jesus. And we definitely will appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, So thank you so much for inviting us to come and share. And uh, Mark and I will be happy to answer any questions you might have about um, what you've heard from us uh, in our ministry and maybe possible ways to be involved in our ministry. So thank you so much.